Hey guys, how's it doing? How's it going? I was going to say, how's it going? And I said, and how's it going and what, what are you doing? Line up with, how's it doing? <laughs> okay, so good morning and welcome to 2023. Anyone feel that? 20, yeah, I turned 45 this coming Wednesday. Yeah, I, I feel 2023. Will you pull me down just a little bit, Scott, if you don't mind? My name is Greg Hampton. If you've never met me before, I'd love to, to meet you. Life in a church is always eventful, but if you haven't heard, on Christmas Eve, in this building, uh, a sprinkler pipe in the system upstairs from us burst and flooded the large room in our kids' space. And so if you were walking in and like, why, are, why is everything different? It's not just because we were like, hey, we need to change everything because it's a new year. It is necessity. We are in the process of all of that being fixed. And actually, Jeff, uh, the owner of the building and uh, a member of the church, he did a really good job of cleaning up the water on the floor. And so by the time I came in, I, it, since it happened Christmas Eve, I was talking to him Christmas Eve, and I was like, I'm not going to bother, I'm not going to tell the church this on Christmas weekend. Like, this, it'll be fine. I'll come in on Monday. I'll take a look. We'll start doing insurance stuff. So when I came in on, on Monday, like the floor was mostly dry. He'd gotten rid of all the water. And I thought, oh, this is just going to be some supplies back there that got wet because you could tell where it was still wet. And then I watched the security camera footage. <laughs> and the, the whole room, there's just water dripping from the ceiling throughout the entire room. And so we had insurance adjusters here this week, his and ours. They have to take care of getting the room all the way back up to code. We'll eventually uh, re receive uh, a check from the adjuster to replace and, and do some fun things for the kids. But I do want to manage expectations because, as you may know, just about everyone you know had a pipe burst in their house or, or business this, this season. It was rather prevalent. Uh, we just randomly ran into... Was it you and me or was it me? We ran into the owners of Dead Poets um, Coffee. And they had had a, a pipe burst above them. Same thing. They had to close for the entire week. But because we have children and all that stuff in that space, it has to be brought back up to a certain level. And because all of the companies are going to be very busy, we need to manage our expectations of how long that's going to take. Okay? So it, the mitigation has already begun. But the reality of replacing... The drywall and the insulation and taping and mudding and painting and all of that other stuff with companies that do that, we, we might not be back in there by the summer. And so I just want you to kind of, we'll do what we always do as a church. We will adjust. We will pull together. We will make the lobby the absolute best experience that we can for our kids. And we as parents will have smiles on our faces as we do it, right? We'll be like, kids, this is normal. This is what families do. you got to adjust. And then hopefully, when everything is done, we'll be able to do some extra special things for them in that space that will make it even more worth the wait. Okay? Does that sound good? Yes. One person, the treehouse director. <laughs> the funny thing is about this, if, if, if it could be funny is that the very first Sunday that we were ever supposed to have a public service as a church at Rock Island High School, there was a water main break outside of the building. And I got a call at 1 a.m. 
from the, uh, the custodian, and he goes, literally, he says, I don't know why I'm the one that has to tell you this, but <laughs> there was a water main break, and you can't use the building tomorrow. And we had sent out 70,000 mailers. So we were expecting hundreds of people, right? And so I felt at peace about it. I even texted with Pastor Jen. I said, I feel peace about it. We'll get up. We'll announce on Facebook that we have to wait another week, and uh, it'll be okay. We'll, we'll meet people in the parking lot. There are some people here, a part of this church, that, that, that came through the parking lot on that first Sunday that are still a part of the church today because we decided to meet in some way anyway, right? And, yeah, so, and then the, the next week we kicked off. But actually, um, today, the second Sunday of January, is the anniversary of that day. Happy birthday, y'all. We're nine years old, right? A round of applause. I guess we just have some kind of water-related challenge every nine years. Um, but I actually want to do something that I don't think we've ever done, that, that I, I just want to take some time here to do. I, I want to take this microphone, and no matter whether you've been here three months, nine months, or nine years, I just want to give some of you the chance to share something that you've seen God do through this community. And um, I'm wondering, Chris, will you, will you be the person that walks the microphone around to people? It's on, and uh, Scott will make sure it's unmuted. So just raise your hand if you'd like to share something that you've seen God do sometime in the last... Nine years here at the house, the local church. Oh, sweetie raised her hand, but I... The, <laughs> you got we'll, put, to say? You we'll put Dave on the spot and make him say something. Sweetie, we love you. Well, You're awesome. Since I have the mic, I guess I'll just say something. Yeah. <laughs> I missed it. She did say happy birthday. Um, she's so talkative. Um, so yeah, I got to actually be a part of the, the birthing of the house, Not, even though it seems like I'm, I'm newer because I just started a couple years ago, I attend regularly, but um, I remember meeting with Jen and Chris and everybody else at, the, at their house, like planning the house. And uh, just getting to watch it grow, and then I was actually the chaplain at Arrowhead Ranch, so at the same time that you guys were having the house, I was always at Arrowhead Ranch in the mornings for 15 years. Um, so I never really could attend very well. But just for me personally, being able to um, start a new family and this becoming our new home church, um, it was really meaningful for us because um, just for our girls to come in and feel so welcomed where... Um, our other daughter, can we wake up and going, hey, we're going to church this morning, right? And that was new for us, and we were just super excited about that, that she had found a place and the girls found a place where they just feel loved to be able to come to and accepted, that they feel like this is their home, not just our home for Lee yeah. and I. So for us, it's been really special to be a part of this community and just love and appreciate everybody so much. So Awesome. Praise God. It's very cool. Very cool, yeah. <clears throat> Who else? I know we got at least a few people that are just not so introverted that they're willing to speak. <laughs> Amy. Amy and Randy. Who should go first? 
Amy. <laughs> so I have no idea. Is this good here? Um, we have been coming to the church since pre, pre, pre not birth, but pre-launch in the Huckleberry's days when uh, Ruby was an ankle biter and a table biter and all the other things. Um, this has been such an incredible experience, and I just I always remember talking to Jen about it and, and saying I feel like I feel like I'm supposed to be involved somehow. And I said that in front of you one time, and you were like, mm, "Why don't you just hang out with us and see if you even like us first? <laughs> so I did, and I do. So this has been a place for me and my girls of um, healing, like huge. Like going through a really bad experience in my marriage and having the support to lend me the strength and the belief in myself to get out of that mm -hmm. and remain standing. Yeah. So thank you for that. Like all of you have been a part of that. This yeah, we is love you. Such a good place. Yeah. I remember over at the old church over in Rock Island. Um, I need to. Uh, I love Amy dearly, but um, sometimes you need to get all the right information when you're exiting the church. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we were, Marianne and I went back to look at the uh, behind stage. Uh-huh, at the high school, we, yep. Yeah, we were just kind of wandering around, and uh, Amy said, well, you guys can go out the side door over there if, if you want. So we kind of moseyed over there, and I kind of pushed my back up to the door to let Marianne go out first, and uh, the first step was about five foot down to the It was the loading concrete. dock door, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And look, he came back. Yeah, and went over to the uh, emergency room, and much to my surprise, the uh, nurse there said that uh, nothing was broke, which was amazing. Yeah, awesome. Very cool. Anyone else? Randy. Um, this, this church has been kind of a a good landing place for us. We tried so many churches. Grant heard so many horror stories from me. And everything always seemed just right. Mm. So I think we've been here maybe three years. Yeah. And every everything about it seemed um, like God math. I didn't wanna I didn't want to separate from our girls and the first time we came in, Greg mentioned that we were having family church because it was summertime. So I had a whole summer to find out if I trusted you people. <laughs> <laughs> and then we had COVID and somehow it still felt like we were a church mm -hmm. and came back and everything still felt just right. Mm. It's, it's been a good, a good challenge for us in a lot of ways, but it, it's felt like a landing place mm. over and over. Thanks, Brandy. Bradley? I've spent most of my life being, or most of my adult life, being pretty transient and moving every like six or eight months. And, uh, um, and so anytime I feel like I can finally like find a church and get settled in and try to get involved, there's been one reason or another where like I wasn't allowed to or I couldn't because of doctrinal differences that, that came to light when trying to get involved. And uh, um, I think I was here for like maybe maybe three or four weeks before I was able to meet with Greg, and we like just talked about 
those like beliefs very early because I came to learn that like I should probably be upfront with these like beliefs and differences that often stand in the way of of finding home in church. Um, and, and those were things that were not even like a concern, not even nothing. And so, um, so I was able to feel very at home and very welcomed and very affirmed immediately within finding this place. And that's such a relief and makes makes like moving, knowing no one into this into this area feel so much easier when there's there's a church community who's here to support and love immediately. We love you, Bradley. One more? Last one, maybe? One more? Eric, right over here. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. Over here and then there. So I've been coming to this church on and off for the last nine years, because I actually, you mentioned that story, and I remember standing out on the, off, the entrance off the street with a sign mm-hmm. uh, that said the house, like, hey, we're just meeting in the parking lot, but like, come say hi to everybody. Uh, and that's actually kind of like a really good memory. It was a fun day to just kind of come meet everybody that I'd be seeing every Sunday and then also being able to be, you know, what, I was 14 at the time and I was able to actually like help and actually be a part of something just right off the bat without even really doing anything, just showing up. He's like, hey, are you able to do this? I was like, let's go. Uh, And then just throughout the years, leaving for college, um, kind of leaving for work, moved away for a little bit, moved back. And every time I came back to the church, it was always a big smile and a hug from Greg and different members from the church, like, oh, welcome back, how have you been? It's always just really welcoming, it's great to be here every Sunday, so. Love Love the church, love coming back. Thanks, love you guys. And then Eric, last one, Eric. Um, For me, uh, one of the things that I, I love about this place is being able to contribute to it uh, in whatever capacity there, there, that there is needed. And one of them is that uh, when we first got this place, um, if you look straight up, you can see the vertical beams and you'll see these little bitty holes. There were nails coming through those. And I don't know what was connected beneath this, but I spent time on like a scaffold pulling nails out <laughs> of this entire sort of area here. And it, it actually felt really good um, to do so. Um, as far as, again, contributing to um, you know, the church home that I was uh, extremely excited about. That's awesome. Thanks, guys. So it's, it is the beginning of a new year. Oh, my dad, my dad. Here you go. Stand close in case he says something he shouldn't say. Take the mic. And this is what I like about this church. Yeah. We, we laugh. And the fact that there are three different people that preach, yeah. teach, a variety, it's never boring. Mm. I, have never, I have not heard a boring sermon here. The old church I went to, the same person was teaching mm. every week. Mm. So, and, and all the people that volunteer when things need to be done. There's never a lack of volunteers. Mm. I think that's great. Thanks, Dad. I love you. All right. So, okay, well, Connie, my mother-in-law. This is what happened when you open it up. One more. I still got a sermon to preach. Greg, I love that our church is grounded so in prayer. Mm. It started years before you came 
and it has grown and grown and brought us together as a family. And we've seen miracles and we've seen God's hand in so many situations throughout all of this and we've all grown through it. And I think that when people walk in the door, they feel the Holy Spirit here. Mm. And we haven't lost sight of that. And that's what I like best about our family mm. here. So thank you. Love you, Connie. All right. Brendan was just going to say, hi, Dad. Hey, man, love you. <laughs> Thanks, man. All right, so this is the beginning of year 10. So we'll see what God has for us. I know that we are going to be going through the gospel of Mark for a while. And uh, so I just, this is going to be kind of an intro message for, for Mark. It's going to show you some things that are happening. If you're a Bible nerd, you're going to be like, oh, ooh, ooh. Um, if, if you're not, this leans a little bit more into teaching than just preaching. So those of you that, that like that, you're going to be like, ooh, I really got what I wanted uh, today. Uh, the gospel... According to Mark, it's traditionally attributed to a, a man named John. Mark, we don't really know for sure if he was Jewish, if he was Greek. Scholars disagree about what city he wrote it in, uh, precisely what year. But we know that this book came first. It's, it's not first in the New Testament. If you, if you open in the New Testament, it starts with the book of Matthew. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's second... For some reason, a lot of people think that because of the subject matter and the, the overall theme of Matthew is the reason that, that they ordered it that way, but, but Mark is actually the oldest. It's actually the first one that was ever written and put into circulation. I just want you to think about that. Right now, there are at least five billion copies of the Bible on earth. Five billion. And then that's not including like all the other books that are about Jesus, that are just scattered across the earth. I would feel like it's possible that there's at least one book about Jesus for every person on earth. But Mark wrote the first one. It's the first one that was in circulation that someone could go, hey, you got a copy of that thing that that guy wrote about that guy? I really want to read that. You couldn't just go to a bookstore and pick up one of a plethora. Uh, do you know what a plethora is? Sorry, that's a callback to a movie. Um, but Mark wrote the first one. And then, of course, um, Matthew and Luke plagiarized half of it for their books. I mean, word for word, word for word. This is why the, uh, that's a little Bible nerd humor as well. But literally, that's why Matthew, Luke, and, and Mark are called the synoptic gospels because they are in sync. They have so much in common. Literally, word for word, you can find passages and stories that, Maybe, but one word here and one word there is a direct copy from the book of Mark. Now, of course, Mark wasn't telling his own story. He did because he wasn't actually one of the original disciples. He didn't see most of or any of this happen. So why did he write a gospel and why do we take his word for it, right? So back in 2021, I, met, I mentioned Mark in one of our sermons that we were doing when we were going through the book of Acts. Because Mark is the one that was on a mission with, with Paul and Barnabas, but he left early. He's the one that when Paul and Barnabas were going to go out on ministry again, Barnabas wanted to take Mark. And Paul was like, not that traitor, <laughs> not that guy that abandoned us. I'm not taking him anywhere. 
he didn't say exactly that. But it does say that they, they disagreed sharply, that they argued with each other, and that they split ways, and that they quit doing ministry together. But then what happens is that Mark ends up spending a lot of time with Peter, who is one of the original disciples. And so when you read the book of Mark, no disciple is mentioned more than Peter. Because Mark is telling Peter's version of the story. This is one of the reasons that we trust it. Because Mark is writing down the first-hand accounts of one of the original disciples. Mark is also the shortest gospel. The fewest words, the fewest chapters. One of the main reasons that it is so much shorter than Matthew and Luke is because those two books start with what we think of as Christmas stories. They begin with the birth of Jesus. It begins with the angels. It tells these genealogies. It talks about Zechariah. It talks about um, Elizabeth. It talks about all the other characters that are part of the story. But Mark skips all of it. Mark skips straight to Jesus being an adult. Now, that doesn't mean that Mark is being careless, though. It means that he's being precise. It is a fact, at least for me, that it is much more difficult to write a short sermon than a long one. Uh, John Bray, some of you know who that is, would say that his dad told him, preach about God and preach about 20 minutes. <laughs> 30, 40-minute sermons are way easier than 20-minute ones because you can ramble. With 20, you have to be precise. There's no wasted words. There's no meandering or rabbit trails or Greg Hampton moments of, oh, I just thought of a stupid joke I'll, I'll say right here. So just like that, that's not in my notes. It's not in my notes. I just thought, oh, I'll say that right now, and so I did. And I just added 27 seconds to this message. So the gospel according to Mark is really kind of like the 20-minute sermon of the Gospels. It's specific, it's precise, it's rich, but it also has deeper meaning everywhere you look. And there's deeper meaning because Mark is thinking like an author. He's telling a story, and he's telling it in a specific way to a specific audience, assuming that they already know some things about Jesus and about history of the Jewish people. Think about it like this. You know when you run into an old friend that grew up in the same neighborhood as you? That happens every now and again. I got two friends that we grew up, we, uh, me, Adam, and Mike. We got in a lot of trouble together, right? <laughs> you, 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 you run into this person, and you have this ability to speak in shorthand. You, you can mention the old neighborhood dog and instantly know that they're remembering the same nine stories that you're remembering. That's what Mark does over and over again. Mark writes like you grew up in the same neighborhood that this is based in. So that when he says certain things, you're supposed to know the stories behind them. This past year, our men's group actually went through the book of Mark on Tuesday nights. And over and over again, we would find ourselves in the deep end of a story that would be easily missed if you weren't taking your time to wade past the surface. And so these next few months, we're going to take a look into the scriptures. We're going to take a look into the book of, of Mark. 
to see what Peter was telling Mark and what Mark is telling us about Jesus. And maybe we'll see some of the things under the surface as well along the way. It's going to be primarily something that I do today. And we're going to see why it still matters to our lives today, okay? All right, so let's open up our Bibles. If you have a physical copy, uh, open it up to the book of Mark, obviously, because we're doing the book of Mark. If you don't have a copy, we have them on the bookshelf out in the lobby. You can take one home with you today or open a digital uh, Bible app. We're going to be in Mark chapter 1. We have a tradition of giving the scriptures our full attention. One of the ways we can do that is by standing together if you, are, if you desire, if you are able, uh, and we'll do that now. If you don't mind, staying with me as you, as you would like. Mark 1, starting verse 1, says this. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. Let's pray. God of every tribe, every tongue, every color, every nation, we thank you that these scriptures exist, that they have persisted throughout the millennia, that we have them to read, to learn from, to look deeper into. And I pray that whatever you have for us to learn today, I pray that it would stick, that it would become a part of the framework of our faith, that our faith would become stronger, that we would become more like your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Thanks. Okay, so the rest of the time I'm talking, everything that I say, keep thinking new beginnings. New beginnings. Everything I say, have that in the back of your head. New beginnings. Verse 1. What are the first words in the first gospel ever written? The beginning. Yeah, the beginning. At least two books, two other books in the scriptures begin with those words. Anyone? Genesis and John, right? John comes after this book, so who knows? Maybe John had an original idea, or he was like, hey, I like how Mark is... is." Then the other one is Genesis. The first gospel begins with the words, in the beginning, or the beginning, and the first book of the Bible starts with, in the beginning. It says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Almost sounds familiar, doesn't it? 
Mark is doing this on purpose. His entire opening is a kind of callback to the creation story. And so the same way that Genesis is meant to build anticipation in the beginning. Oh, in the beginning what? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Oh, and then what happened? Oh, then the earth was formless in the water and the spirit was hovering above it. And then he said, let there be light. There's this anticipation that builds in the way that the writer is writing. And Mark is wanting you to have the same anticipation as he's telling his story. Mark is saying, this is a new beginning. It doesn't replace the first beginning, but it builds on it. You're meant to remember that beginning as you're reading about this beginning. And then he mentions Isaiah. Why? Okay. So Isaiah is the prophet that spoke for God when? Right before the first major exiles began. Right before Israel started getting pushed out of their own land. And Isaiah was from the northern kingdom of Israel. Now remember, King David united the northern and southern parts of the kingdom as one kingdom. And then his son, Solomon, ruled somewhat heavy-handedly, put a lot of pressure on the people, didn't hand power off very well when he was dying, and then it splits back into two kingdoms. Now both in the, the northern kingdom takes the name Ten Tribes in the North, take the name Israel, they keep that name, and the two tribes in the south that had Jerusalem in it take the name Judah. It's important to know. Now, both kingdoms eventually end up in exile, but the northern kingdom of Israel was defeated first. Isaiah the prophet is the one that was warning them that this was coming. But when you read scriptures like this, you see that he wasn't just warning them that something bad was going to happen. He was also pointing to their future hope. You cannot read the scriptures and see someone in the New Testament mention Isaiah without thinking about the future hope that Isaiah spoke about. Isaiah was the most prevalent book in any synagogue. The most copies of an Old Testament book of a Hebrew text is Isaiah. Isaiah is the one that points to this concept, this idea that there will be a Messiah. What were the first verse? The beginning of the story of Jesus, the Messiah. So he's pointing to a Messiah, but he's also pointing to the one that would prepare the way for that Messiah. And that's what we see in verse 4. Mark is saying the future that Isaiah was talking about is being fulfilled in John the Baptist. And it's clear, as you read all the Gospels, in particular this one, it's clear that John sees himself that way. Because he says, I baptize in this way, but another is coming. I'm not even worthy to touch his sandals. This is how much greater that he is than me. Because he's going to baptize you with something that is fully godly. Not just water, but with the Holy Spirit. He sees himself as this forerunner. And he says, another one that's more powerful is coming. And then we meet him. Then we meet that one that is coming. Guys, this is great writing. In eight verses, think about this. In eight verses, we're told who this story is about. We're told where this story began. We're introduced to one of the most memorable figures 
In all the scriptures, we're told what he looks like, what he wears, what he's doing. And we're told what's happening and why it's happening. In the passage of eight verses. And then we meet Jesus. Even though you might miss some of the deeper layers, even if you know nothing else about the Bible, you still can understand what's going on. It's great. It's great writing. Verse 9 is where we get to meet Jesus. And the density of the way that Mark is writing continues when he introduces Jesus. The intentionality to hoping that you will see other things. What do I mean? So, for some reason, Mark thought it was important to mention where Jesus was from. Right? Doesn't tell us where John is from. It says that he's baptizing at the Jordan, but that doesn't mean that that's where he's from. He wants us to know where he's from. And what region? And then why he came. He says Jesus came from the town of Nazareth in the region of Galilee to be baptized by John. Okay, so think about the two kingdoms again I was talking about before, before the exile, okay? You've got the ten tribes of Israel up north. You've got the two tribes of Judah in the south. The region of Galilee, okay? Classroom question. Region of Galilee, the town of Nazareth, was, which, was in which kingdom? You got 50-50 chance in the north, okay? And think about, Galilee is like a county, okay? A lot, of, a lot of people grew up in the church thinking Galilee is a city or a town. Nazareth is like a town inside the county of Galilee, okay? So he's coming from a town up north, but the Messiah is meant to come from the line of the king of David. And David is from the tribe of Judah, which was in the south. Jesus, in his body and in his geography, is literally a bridge between the north and the south. He's literally a physical connection between the two halves of the kingdom that had been divided. And then Jesus is baptized, but why? Okay, so for a couple reasons. I mean, when you read the other Gospels, they show this story and they tell a little bit more of what happens. And John actually goes, why would I baptize you? And Jesus says, for it is to complete all things. But here in this story, the impression that we get is because first, it's not only, Jesus isn't only God. Jesus is also human. As Christians, we believe that Jesus is fully God, 100%, and fully human, 100%. Somehow, he is fully united as those two things. And so at the beginning of his ministry, he's doing what all the other humans are doing. He's going and he's making a public declaration of what he believes. But again, there's more to it. Remember, new beginnings. Mark wants us to think back to the new creation, to the first creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was formless. And when Genesis names the first element on earth, even before he speaks light into creation, what was it? Does anybody know? No, we got before light. He created the heavens and the earth and the water. The earth was formless 
and the Spirit of God was hovering above the water. Okay? There was heaven, there was earth, and there was water between them in the way that it is described. Now, the imagery that Mark is giving us is that in Jesus' baptism, Jesus creates this physical metaphor of heaven and earth uniting, meeting in this holy moment in the waters of baptism with a new beginning. Now, maybe you're thinking, Greg, you might be reading into this a little bit too much. But then verse 10, it says, when Jesus came up out of the waters, what happens? The Spirit of God descends on him like a dove. Do you see it? If you don't, there's good reason, okay? There's grace here. If you don't see that, there's good reason. It's because we aren't first century Jews. Because we don't read the Hebrew scriptures the way that they read them. Literally, we don't read the same translations that they would have read. But listen to what Timothy Keller writes about this specific instance. It says this, For the, for the Spirit of God to be pictured as a dove is not particularly striking to us. Right? We've heard it thousands of times. If you've been to church uh, a number of times, someone probably mentioned the Holy Spirit being like a dove. But when Mark was writing, it was very rare. In the sacred writings of Judaism, there is only one place where the Spirit of God is likened to a dove. And that is in the Targums, the Aramaic translation of the Hebrew Scriptures that the Jews of Mark's time read. In the creation account, he says, the book of Genesis 1 verse 2 says that the Spirit hovered over the face of the waters. The Hebrew verb there means flutter. The Spirit fluttered over the face of the waters. And to capture this vivid image, the rabbis translated the passage for the Targums, the thing that they would have been reading like this. And the earth was without form and empty, and darkness was on the face of the deep. All seems normal to this point, right? And the Spirit of God fluttered above the face of the waters like a dove. When Mark writes this, he's intentionally trying to get us to see that Jesus is heaven and earth being united in the waters, and the Spirit of God like a dove, is present in the same way right now, in this new beginning, exactly the same way that all of God was present at creation. Is that not cool? All right, so after his baptism, when Mark tells us the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove, that's what he's saying. Okay, I can skip ahead, okay? And literally after this, I could, go, I could go on about how Mark is trying to get you to think about this. What happens after Jesus is um, uh, uh, baptized? What does he do? He, he says the Spirit of God immediately makes him go out into the wilderness to, to what? To be tempted, okay? What did the first human beings experience? Temptation. The, the, new, the, the first book describes it as a serpent. We think of that serpent as representing the Satan, and this says that he's being tempted by the Satan. But the story ends differently, doesn't it? And that's the point. Mark wants us to think about how the story was written the first time. 
and how humanity, humans, failed the first time. But now in this new beginning, this new man, this new Adam, he goes through all the same things that we do. He's baptized in the waters. The Holy Spirit is present the same way as the Spirit was present at creation. He experiences temptation, but instead of falling for the trick, he resists. The point here is that Mark is wanting us to know that this new beginning is going to mark a line where this new beginning creates an option for us to be a part of a new beginning. If Jesus can resist it and we can be in Jesus and then we can live the way he lives, that we can be in him and live the way that he does, and we can resist all the holes, all the traps, all the ways that we would normally fall. So what do we do with any of this? Okay, I've got one thing for you. It's a new year. We're probably all thinking about new beginnings that we might need, uh, things that we might need to fix, things that we might need to change. But we don't just need new beginnings. We need the new beginning. Does it make sense? The truth is that yesterday I, I didn't have a great day. I was just emotionally. It wasn't a good day. But throughout the day I just kept thinking, Jesus is the new beginning. Jesus is the new beginning. The, the story can end differently. So I, I, I asked Sunny to pray for me throughout the day. So then at even though some of the same challenges that existed in the morning still existed at night, my heart handled them far better because I was working to let God be the center of it. I was working to let him be the beginning in me, for me to not be the one that would fix it and change it, to let his new beginning be the story that I would be in. My hope is that over these next few months, as we go through the book of Mark, that you continue to remember a new beginning. Jesus is our new beginning. And if we are in Jesus, then every single one of our stories can end differently than we think it might. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, for the depth of it, for the creativity of it. I thank you for new beginnings. Move in us. Shape us. Give us your new beginning so that our stories can develop and end the way you intend. Amen.